today's episode of Vice Versa, we're even closer to seeing the semi in production. Tesla and Toyota are working together. April Fools? Texas lawmakers passing laws that favor fossil fuels. A company is turning sewage into hydrogen and much, much more. And as usual, I'm joined by the guy who still refuses to give me his Netflix login, Ricky Roy. How you doing, Ricky? Matt, on your birthday, your next birthday, I'll, I'll think about it. How about that? <laughs> yeah. By the way, is that, a, is that a new haircut? Looking sharp. Looking oh, very thanks. sharp. Thanks. By the way, before we get started, I want to take a quick moment and say thanks to all of you guys for watching. We just broke past 5,000 subscribers, which is pretty awesome. And this is our 20th show. Pretty cool. Yes. Congratulations to us and to all of you. Thank you so much for watching, everybody. Really, we appreciate you guys. So you want to jump into the first story? What was right. your video this week, by the way, before we Oh, started? my video this week, yes. My video this week was uh, I interviewed a friend of mine. His name is Steve Haynes. He added solar and batteries to his RV, and I talked to him about living on the road, off the grid. And it, it was a fun conversation, and I'm kind of jealous of him, but I don't know if I could do it myself. I, I saw your, I, yeah, I saw it come out, and I knew I had to bookmark it. I just watched it today. Yeah, it sounds like such an amazing thing to do. I think it might be tough with two, you know, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, but I do, I do wish to do that one day. Uh, my video this week was on the question, why is Starship so big? It was a question we had been thinking about, so we decided to make a video about it. We really are proud of this one. We put a lot of work into it. So, um, yeah, uh, it'll be, they'll be linked. Both of our videos will be linked in the description if you guys are interested. And with that, let's start the show. What do we got first? Well, first up, we've got the Tesla semi-production. There's a new line just outside a Gigafactory uh, in Nevada that they're going to be producing potentially five trucks per week. And this one just kind of broke just recently. Um, it's not actually in the Gigafactory. They evidently kind of rented out a facility or bought out a facility on 550 Milan Drive, which is kind of adjacent. And they're building out a production line for the Tesla semi there. And this is going to kind of be a pilot line that they can then replicate into Austin as they're building out the final line in Austin, Texas. So it's kind of exciting to see this. We've talked about a lot about the uh, semi recently because there's been so much buzz and things happening around it. Like last week, we talked about how Pepsi has been talking about how they're going to have, I think it was 15 Tesla semis but by the end of the year. And this now kind of explains how they're getting it because... <laughs> They're spinning up this line that's going to be spitting out about five of these every single week. Now, it's very low volume, but this gives them a chance to kind of kick the kick the tires, proverbially, I guess. I don't know. Or literally, maybe. Um, but this is just, it's, it's kind of exciting to see this coming to fruition so soon. And there's another aspect of this of, are they doing this to really kind of perfect their process? Or are they doing this to try to make sure that they're the first company out the door producing electric semis because there are other companies kind of hot on their heels trying to come out with their own. So I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I thought the timing of this was interesting because I really didn't expect to hear much about semi, at least until Gig Austin was up and running. But yeah, I think what Tesla is doing is just reminding everybody, because you got to remember like some of these contracts go into place before the cars are ready to, to ship. What I mean, look at that thing. That is, of all the cool electric vehicle semi-options that we've seen. Like Volvo has a new one now. There's like Lion. There's all these companies. This is still the best looking one. Look at that. That is a, that's a gorgeous semi, which I don't think anyone's ever said those <laughs> words before. And that shot of the interior, that is a reimagining. I don't know if you guys have seen like what the interior of a, of a typical semi looks like, but it ain't it's that. It's not bad. <laughs> that, it's definitely not that. That looks, 
That looks very, very uh, modern and, and sleek. It's so, a spaceship. Yeah, I think this is... Yeah, it is. Yeah, look at that. It's two little... It looks like pretty much two little uh, Model 3 screens on <laughs> either <Yeah>. side. <laughs> but there's a whole suite of, like, you know, interconnectivity and stuff that they offer as well. But to me, this was kind of a... Yeah, a sh- a kind of a shot a- across the bow to let people know... Hey, remember us? Like we we showed you our truck like years ago. We haven't. We're not going anywhere, and we're gonna build five a week. And they're aiming for like sixty this year. But that's really all you need. They're not trying to go and sell a million million of them because I don't think their battery supply is fully flushed out. But they're clearly making sales from their Fremont line for the forty six eighty. And I think you make sixty trucks, you start selling to the right people. And yep. you get the same effect of like Rivian with UPS, right, or Amazon. Uh, you, you see these Rivian trucks out there, and people start. There's a little bit of a buzz and water cooler talk. So, Tesla does that, and then suddenly Pepsi and all these companies start buying hundreds of you know orders of the of the Tesla Semi. So I think the marketing is is brilliant. The timing is great, and this is again, it's bizarre. Like when have you ever cared about a Semi before? Like, <laughs> no one ever. It, Right, I mean, I've never thought. Oh my! Oh, the new Volvo is out. Oh my! So it's so cool. Look, it has you know, twenty cylinders. Like I just never cared, but suddenly they're cool. Go Tesla! Yeah. I don't know. I can't explain it. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. It's like I've never, move. I've never cared about semi trucks, but suddenly I care deeply about semi trucks because <laughs> this is super cool. I can't wait to see this on the road. I'm wondering if there's going to be some, you know, like the. I feel like the pickup trucks keep getting bigger. Like now you see guys like driving like F750s around, like as like going to. Like pet coated by dog food, uh, who, uh, we'll see the first person driving around a, like a Tesla semi. Yeah. I was like, yeah, it's just my car, no big deal, you know. Yeah, but it's good for the environment. Electric. Yep, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, that should be a fun one, and we'll keep keep an eye on it. Next up, we have a story that. So first of all, I think we typically don't cover stories at this stage of maturity. I think we we like to hear a little more confirmation. Uh, but this is about Tesla and Toyota potentially working together. So the reason why we did include it is I actually think uh, even more than this report that this might actually be happening. So the report comes from a Korean reporter, uh, his name is here, and it says, it's reported that Tesla and Toyota have reviewed the partnership since last year and are approaching the final stage. It sounds it sounds promising, right? And uh, they're considered jointly developing a small electric SUV platform. So the basic car skeleton and then, you know, Tesla, uh, sorry, Toyota or Lexus could potentially put their own skin on it. So if this sounds crazy or a little bit like deja vu, well, that's because Toyota has actually done this before. Back, if you remember the RAV, Toyota RAV4 EV, that was the arrangement. Tesla provided, I think, the powertrain and batteries for that and Toyota put it all together. So this is basically revisiting a previous engagement. So one thing that they mentioned is that the partnership ended in 2014. Uh, pretty much it was a compliance car that Toyota was forced to sell. I think we've covered on this show uh, intensely that Toyota seems to be very behind the times on this front. But what's yep. interesting is they mentioned they sold all their shares of Tesla at in 2017 and basically lost out on like 10x growth or 12 or 14x growth. So I'm sure they're kicking themselves on, on on multiple fronts. But to me, this does make sense because Toyota's not, I don't think they're fully in a position to be all in, but I think they want to have an entry in the segment. I think they want to have some sort of a Lexus SUV, I think is my prediction. So this is the low code, uh, the low investment way to get there. You don't really have to build factories or do any kind of R&D. You just 
go to the best and, and license the techs. And if they're only going to sell a couple thousand a year, I don't think the margins or any of that matters. It's just having an electric car when you go to a Lexus showroom. That's really what it comes down to. So I think this is actually going to happen. What do you think? I don't. <laughs> I <really> no? Don't. <laughs> like when this story came up, it's like I read it. I thought, is this an April Fool's joke? Kind of like the uh, Volkswagen that happened a couple days ago. Which, which, by the way, is the, <laughs> the worst pull-off of a, an April Fool's joke I've ever seen. It's like they released it several days before April Fool's, and then they let us know it was an April Fool's joke yesterday, wasn't it? It's like I actually think it wasn't, and they're hiding. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this was a joke, <laughs> when they the backlash they got. I actually yeah. think they were doing it. I, I, I think it might have been serious. We, we might never know, but... But this, this felt like that to me of, like, it felt just a little too far-fetched for me. Where it's like, really? Because Toyota, the CEO of uh, Toyota has said some horrible things about battery electric vehicles. And it's like, oh, now they're partnering with Tesla. This makes very little sense to me. Um, and the fact that this report was only from one unnamed source, there's no corroboration to this. Yeah. It no, makes no. it very kind of unbelievable to me. So I, that's why I don't think that this is a real thing. But in the article, it was they did say part of the rumor is that it wasn't going to be supplying hard hardware technology in that sense but software. So the software management systems and things like that, maybe full self-driving, who knows? It's like, but when it comes to batteries and drivetrains, I can't imagine Tesla would want to get into this when they're having trouble keeping up with their own demand and they're still ramping up their own factories. It's like, it doesn't seem like they would want to actually supply another company with stuff that they can use for themselves. But software, it's a completely different story. I could totally see them, uh, you know, supporting another company on that front. So, in that regard, it kind of like piqued my interest of like, well, maybe, but I still don't think it's going to happen. I really don't. Just with how little Toyota's invested, I, I, to me, it felt like it could make sense, and that's why I thought it might be credible. To your point, though, about the batteries, yeah, I don't think if you're Tesla, you want to be giving away any batteries that you could be making cars with. But what, what if they kind of sold like the skateboard, the electric motors and the inverters and the controllers and all the BMS and, like you mentioned, the software, maybe even the UI for the and infotainment. And it was kind of like batteries, like bring your own batteries. So you you can, you know, they'd have like a little tech, like a sheet maybe or something, uh, and maybe even the pack, and you just supply your own uh, 2170s or whatever they go with. That way they're not eating into their cell supply. Like, you're still forced to go out figure that out. But everything else is packaged. There's still huge value. Tesla's electric motors are really advanced. There's People kind of think, oh, electric motors are way more simple than gas engines. And that's very much true. But there's still uh, a lot of R&D that goes into what we've kind of talked about in the past. Like, Lucid has some claims of really deep investment and efficiency improvements and stuff. So maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, compared to all the stuff we've been covering about Toyota, it kind of makes sense, don't you think? I mean, otherwise, yeah. what are you going to do? You're going to be caught with your pants down when everybody else has electric cars except for you. I don't that's, know. A, that's a compelling argument. I could I could see that, where maybe, maybe they are doing this because they're just... For them, it's compliance. It's like they're just trying it to is. keep up, and this would allow them to kind of somewhat keep up. So maybe... <laughs> yeah. We'll, Toyota, we'll see. Now, I'll tell you, they, 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 they never fail to... Uh, to, to make it onto our board for some reason. They just, I know. Just week <laughs> just after week. Enough. It's just a head shake. Oh, Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> well, next up, we're talking about, there's kind of two stories that are kind of very tightly related we're going to be talking about. And this one is Texas lawmakers are passing a bunch of laws that are just kind of head scratching at this point. 
So the beginning of the backlash has happened after the February energy disaster in Texas. It's like, when we talked about this before, it's like that's one of the things that made me nervous, which was this is going to become, you know, a talking point in political circles of renewable energy. It caused all of our problems when we actually know it didn't. The lack of weatherization of their grid is what caused the problem had was not because it was renewables. But they just passed um, a law called HB 17, which prohibits cities and towns from passing bans on natural gas hookups in new construction. And this was kind of a reactive law because of things like what we're seeing in California, where they're banning gas lines in new construction and they're making these, this is starting to become more popular in more kind of green states. And Texas was trying to kind of get ahead of that um, to prevent that from happening in Texas. So they passed this law that makes it against the law to to pass a law like that or regulation like that. Um, so regardless of how you feel about that, what's funny to me is that, what was it, Representative Joe, uh, I can't say his last name, Desh Hotel, um, he addressed the Senate about this, saying that this was a, a great example of how to fix the problems that we saw in February. But the irony of that was that this bill was written in January. So it had nothing to do with what happened as a uh, part of the, the February kind of disaster. So there's that that raises into question. As part of this, there was also SB3, which added a mandate for uh, basically allowing, basically taxing of renewables in the state so that for, to kind of um, pay for, what was that? On the surface, it seems like a good idea, but the purpose was to raise the cost of building out wind and solar Republicans in the region have been um, arguing about for some time was trying to get rid of the incentives and the rebates on wind and solar. But instead of doing that, what they've done is they've kind of levied these taxes on the, the, the wind and solar to make it more expensive, to make natural gas and coal and things like that look more appealing. So they're kind of coming at it from a different direction. Then there's another story. This is related to what I was just talking about. <laughs> the provision in these bills is, is to, um, part of the provisions in this bill was actually a good thing, which was to weatherize the energy production sources in the state to prevent what happened in the February event from ever happening again, which is great, but it, they're bringing a whole bunch of baggage along with it that is highly debatable. I'm really curious what you, you think of this, because these, these bills that have been passed or are about to be passed are very concerning to me. It's like there's some, there's pros and cons to all of it, but there's a lot of, um, I don't know, I don't want to say big oils part of this, but there <laughs> seems to be money uh, and investments in here that are kind of persuading certain senators to make choices that are not in the best interest of the state. Yeah, so <laughs> I think what makes this interesting or funny is it's coming out of Texas, which is a, a state, uh, you know, very famous for kind of being more about the individual, not so much big government and like deregulating. But that first story you mentioned, which is part of part of uh, what would be enacted is to pr make it illegal to to not have natural gas hookups in, in new construction. So currently a new construction, like if you're building a development of 100 homes, it's up to you. Do you want to pay the money to bring natural gas lines along with water and electricity and everything else, or do you not? So a lot of them are opting not to because increasingly, I guess, a lot of people are moving to electric heaters and electric uh, stoves and ovens and things. So this law would make that illegal and require you to have a natural gas hookup, which sound, okay, I, 
I actually don't mind the natural gas hookup. I, I, we mentioned this when we talked about the Texas disaster. I like the idea of having options. You never know. The power goes out. It's a cloudy day. My power wall and my solar is not generating. But if I could, if there's some backup system, that's never a bad thing. At the same time, this is Texas, the, the state about the free, and who, who give people like me in California, and actually you're from Massachusetts, same thing, a hard time about all this like overreach uh, by the government. You're making it illegal to let people choose what they want to do when they build new homes, which bizarre. So even mm-hmm. though I'm not opposed to the end result, what you're doing is wildly against what you always kind of uh, say you stand for, which, which is a weird situation that they're in. And now we're talking about adding taxes and, and fees to solar and wind generation. <laughs> this is like, you know, when I was at Fully Charged Live, I was surprised to learn that Texas is really far ahead in terms of renewables. I actually never knew that. And the people at Fully Charged Live were super proud of that fact. So I'd love to hear if anybody in the audience is from Texas. Like, how do they, how they must feel about this? Like, talk about two steps backward at, at some point. So yeah. disappointed to hear... Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the concrete results of this will be, because at this point it feels speculative and stuff. I'm not sure exactly how how to land, but yeah, it feels kind like, of a shame. It feels like there's two sides to Texas. It's like they are one of the leaders of wind production in the country, and yet they're doing this. It's like I, it's like shooting right. yourself in the foot. It's like what are, what are you what are you doing? It's like <laughs> you're leading the wave on this. There's a transition happening, and you were at the. You were leading the pack, and it's like this is just going to set them back, which is just, I don't know, it's, it sends me spinning whenever I think about this. It's just so shocking to me. But at least yeah. they are going to weatherize their grid, which will prevent February, the February event, from ever happening again if they pull it off. Because that, that was ultimately what went wrong. It was not the fact it was renewables. And the natural gas lines, they froze. <laughs> so it's like... It's not going to, natural gas lines is not the solution. It's the weatherization that's the actual solution to solve the problem that caused people to die and, you know, lose all their property from, you know, flooding that happened from burst pipes. It's like, address the actual issues. Not, let's not turn this right. into a political witch hunt for whatever money you're taking behind the scenes. It's, it's, it's very frustrating. There's actually even more complication to it, to your point, which was, I, I remember reading, I think it was this article or another one that we were reading, that in the event that there was like an emergency situation where they had to kick on all the natural gas plants because there was other issues in the grid, they would actually be metering the natural gas going to individual homes because like if, if the power is out, everybody has the same idea. I have a natural gas fireplace, for example, I'm going to light that up and light all my natural gas fireplaces. Well, You'd be using up all the natural gas, and there might be a shortage at the power plants that, that where it's needed, especially if everyone flicks it on. Same as electricity, right? Everyone goes and the demand spikes. Well, you're going to have pressure losses and a shortage of natural gas. So there's a chance that even if you had natural gas around your house, they might be able to control that flow if there was an emergency situation. There's also some provisions about billing. I think yes. they mentioned that like the emergency, uh, the emergency response billing rate could only apply for 12 hours if if there was like a declared emergency because again deregulation sounds great until you get a seven thousand dollar bill for electricity so this would limit that absorbent price hikes and uh, it was the wholesale it was the wholesale electric indexes yes that they're they're limiting because part of the benefits of deregulation was your electricity gets dirt cheap because you're going off these wholesale prices but the problem with that is 
when you have something like this happens and there's this right. electricity spike, suddenly it's like thousands of dollars for, you know, a few kilowatts to your house and you get a bill for $4,000, which was what was happening to people. So the, right. the, 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 like I said, there's some good things in the bill that are fixing some of these issues, but there's a lot of baggage that comes with it. The next one is um, maybe a li- maybe still stinky and dirty, but a lot more optimistic, I think, overall. <laughs> this is a story that I, I read this week, and I thought it was super cool. And it ties into this idea that I have that I'd like to see investment everywhere. So this new fa- uh, facility in Tokyo will convert sewage. It's, it's at a sewage treatment plant. That's its main purpose. But it can actually convert the sewage into renewable hydrogen. And, you know, it's not going to be... In a, in a huge scale, it'll be like 40 kilograms a day, sort of a, sort of a um, collection, 40 to 50 kilograms a day. But that's enough to fuel like 10 passenger vehicles. And again, this is this is hydrogen that would just otherwise be uh, emitted as carbon dioxide. So this is carbon negative. This whole process, if because this is a carbon capture technology plus hydrogen generation technology. So talk about a win-win. You know, they mentioned in this article that. I think it's 90% or, or some really high number uh, of all the car- the hydrogen that we generate today actually comes from like natural gas reforming, like really dirty fossil fuel-based approaches, which is bizarre, but that's just the way it is. Electrolysis is a very expensive procedure, and by the time you uh, collect the hydrogen, you liquefy it, and you compress it, and you store it in a tank, you, it just, you know, like 60% of the energy is gone from like solar or however you collected it. But this could be interesting, and this is why I have never written off hydrogen. Japan, the, the, the entire country of Japan is huge on hydrogen. Uh, I never fully understood why, and I still don't. I, I don't think there's any future for, like, passenger cars, like you and I, the cars that we drive every day. But, like, like huge, you know, hauling or, or like, you know, yachts and boats and traders and stuff. Trains are a good, yeah, yeah. good example. Um, I, maybe electric for trains, if, if you could have, like, electric, you know, like, power just piped right into it but there's there's applications for it so uh to my mind i think this story was fascinating because this is exactly what i had in mind when i mentioned i want to see investment in hydrogen i don't want to just like there's a sense that like, oh tesla uh, elon says hydrogen is dumb and we should stop investing in it i do think it's dumb for cars but what if we could come up with new novel ways what if every sewage plant what if every every place where this sort of you know natural processes like end waste could be recycled in this way. And, and by the way, that entire factory is runs on its own electricity, so it's even like power neutral. Uh, really, really exciting stuff. So there's future ways that we can harness hydrogen that solve the money problem that we have currently with it. And I think when we have enough of those in place, it, it could make sense for large-scale storage. Imagine like massive hydrogen storage facilities where we store excess energy from the sun and then we have it for the nighttime. Yeah. It's like I, you and I are on the same page with hydrogen. It's like I have not written it off at all. I think there's a lot of potential there, just not in passenger cars. <laughs> I, think it's a, I think it's a joke for passenger cars, but there's a lot of great uses for it. And what's funny is I'm actually working on a green hydrogen video right now. So it's like I've been doing a whole bunch of research around this. And so when you put this in this, I hadn't seen this story. When you put it in there, I was like, this is weird timing. Uh, this is not going to be a shock to anybody if you watch my videos, but I always go back to the LCOE, LCOE, which is the levelized cost of energy. So when I read this story, my first thought was, what's the LCOE on this? Because it's crazy cool technology, but if it can't do it in a profitable way 
and be competitive with other forms of hydrogen generation, it's going to go nowhere. So this will be the only plant we ever hear of that does this. Um, I hope it's effective for its cost. It is cool that it's generating its own electricity that it can use to kind of be like a closed loop system is basically what it is. But my, curi my curiosity was, okay, it's producing this hydrogen, but what's the cost of that hydrogen? Because gray hydrogen, which is what's made with fossil fuels today, costs, I think it's about a buck 50 per kilogram. And green hydrogen is like about 250 at best case scenario. So my question was, is this 250 or is this closer to a buck 50? It's like, where does this fall in that, that realm? Or is it $5? Is it some kind of crazy, just way too expensive process? So it's like, while, while I loved the whole aspect of what they were doing with the technology, I had qu so many questions about the costs and yeah. the, the effectiveness of it. I think the cost will be hard to pin because it's kind of a byproduct of what they're doing at that yeah. plant. It does, there's, a, there's not like much opportunity cost there. But the problem will be yield. Like They're not going to make enough of this. Like they mentioned it's 50 kilograms a day at this. It's very small. So yeah. for that reason, I mean, if you're going to commercialize it, at that point, it probably just makes more sense to like store it locally and you've got Good power. Point. You can run it from a fuel cell and uh, you have power for later. At such low volumes, I don't know that it actually would make sense to sell it. But what yeah. if we had larger scale plants? I mean, you know, I don't know. Um, it's a good question. It's a very good question. Yeah. It, it's and it is the right way to think about this. Yeah. It's like we have to handle this stuff in one way or another. It's kind of like when I did a video on Sterling Engines, it's, it's about how it, you have a factory that has a process that's putting up a ton of heat. Well, capture that heat and use that heat as an energy source for something else. It's using all the different parts of the system to try to be most effective. And that's what's clever about this. It's, you're getting rid of this garbage. Well, can we get something good out of it? It's like, okay, we're getting rid of garbage and we're getting hydrogen at the same time. So it's, it's very clever. I like the way, I like the way they're thinking. It. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So next up, and this is our last story. This one's an interesting one. <laughs> this is all about how the pandemic has affected parking lots of all things and what, <laughs> what they're doing to, to, that's really cool and clever from this. And I don't know if, is this out by you, um, Ricky, the, the LAS parking lots? Are those in your area at all? I, I, you know, when I was traveling more for work, I, I think I've been like five or 10 of them around the country. I think there are some in LA. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're all over, they're all over here. They're all over New York city. I, I see them. I used to park in a LAS parking lot when I worked in, in Boston. Um, but what's fascinating about this story is that they're, uh, uh Alan Lazowski, who's the CEO of LAS parking. They noticed that with the pandemic, there was 95% drop in the parking in their lots, obviously, because we went into lockdowns. So they had to basically furlough half of his employees. They have these empty spaces that aren't getting used. And being this very clever businessman, he decided what he's going to do is kind of rethink what a parking garage could be. And so what they're doing while, they're, while this is happening is they're going to be adding 50,000 charging chargers, EV chargers, to all of their like different parking garages around the country. Because as he described it, the parking garages are going to become the future gas stations, which is such a wonderful way to think about it. Because it's like everybody's parking, they're going to want to charge up, which brings me back to my experience in one of his parking lots in Boston. They're in massive parking garage and there was four EV chargers. And every time I would go in there, they were always full. I never got to use them because they were always full. And the idea that they're going to be adding more is fantastic. 
But the other thing that they're doing that I thought was super clever was they're going to be like using 5,000 to 10,000 square feet for these like little micro warehouses in their parking garages, which will be used as kind of packing and last mile delivery services for, you know, stuff we're shopping for. And they could partner with things like, you know, Uber and, you know, whatever the d d delivery services that are using it are. Um, so you got, you've got 1.3 million parking spaces across 420 cities where he's going to be able to take advantage of this real estate for these very clever new uses that could make things more effective and as well as become very central to EV charging infrastructure, being able to charge up your car while you're at work or you're shopping when you're using one of his parking lots. It's very cool. Very cool. And a special shout out to Eric Burendorf, who recommended this story. It was one of our viewers who, who shared this with me, and uh, we put it on the, on the board. So when we tell you guys to you know, let us know what you guys want us to cover, yeah. I, we mean it. We'll, we'll definitely uh, we'll do that. So thank you, Eric, for that. So can, if you show my screen, there's a, there's a picture near the bottom of that article where they kind of break this down. I don't know if you guys can read that very well. But talk about like re-imaging or reimagining every part of, of a parking structure. So yeah. they're talking about like potential, and this is all, you know, they, I don't think they've actually done this yet, but urban farming, imagine having little areas on the top of the roof where you have solar and you can even have like urban farms, last mile delivery, pickup and drop lo locations. That's really interesting, right? Imagine a world where we got drones flying around. What better place than some, you know, commercial area like a parking lot where you could operate and not really be bothering too many people. And also generally just innovating around like a touchless experience, which I think you're going to hear those words a lot more often, uh, you know, talking about like, you know, when you buy a car now, it's a touchless delivery experience. Yeah, yeah that's kind of the way things are headed. Uh, yep. Frictionless access. So imagine you from every part from when you ro roll in and roll out, you're just you're, you're on your phone increasingly, maybe or you're just you're, you're in an environment where you don't have to interact with people, which kind of sounds a little bit sad. But I think if you know, the pandemic has taught us anything, we need to be flexible. And if travel does halt again, how could you use the spaces that you have? To me, this was just one of those stories that I love hearing about entrepreneurs who who just won't quit. Like even if, like if you told me that 95% of my views on my YouTube channel are gonna be, uh, di are gonna disappear next month, uh, that would be pretty tough to, <laughs> to, to recover from. But here's a guy who, you know, just, keeps reimagining and thinking about what kind of stuff he could he could do to improve upon his position and with his uh, assets that he has, knowing that eventually we'll go back to flying. But when we do, it'll even be better than it was before. So uh, this is one of those stories that I love hearing about that people got better. Or we learned or we did better things after the pandemic. It's good. It's a feel good story. Yeah, after all it. that sewage. <laughs> That was also awesome. a good story. That was a good, that was a good one too. Yeah. Thank you again for all of you guys who keep tuning in. We love all of you. 20 videos in. This has been a fun experiment and I'm, I'm glad we're doing this. And 5,000 subscribers. Let's go. Yeah. We'll see you guys next week. Yep. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next week. 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, every Thursday night. And check out viceversa.show for the audio podcast. See you then. Bye-bye.